everybody. Welcome to BO Boys for Friday, August 26. Fuck it. It's a raw feed. We're doing it live. Partly, I'm Clayton. I'm Pat. So when you say partly, I mean, listen, it's all live. BO Boys, whether they're live or not, we're live. But we're going to be inserting an interview that we just did right before this intro. We interviewed Matt Bellany. I mean, this guy is the the who's who of Hollywood reporting. He was, in fact, the editor of The Hollywood Reporter, used to host those Hollywood roundtables that everyone loves. Of course, that was the the golden era of The Hollywood Roundtables when Matt Bellany hosted. He is mm-hmm. now the founder of Puck News, which is a must-read uh, entertainment site. You, you, you got to read Puck News. He, he writes his What I'm Hearing newsletter on there. You got to subscribe. And... We've referenced this many times in the B.O. Boys. He is the host of the town uh, podcast that airs a couple of times a week on the Ringer Network. The interview with Matt was great, of course, and you're about to hear it now. And we talked about the future of theatrical. I mean, are these theaters going to survive? Are they going to be starved to death or, or, or can they pull through? We're talking about Disney and Pixar, that fractured relationship. We're talking about the streaming situation. Is Netflix ever going to get into theatrical? Is the Knives Out sequel going to be in theaters? We talk about so much with Matt. This is such an important interview, and we're excited to play it for you now. So here is from the town, from Puck News, here's Matt Bellany. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. Matt Bellany, founder of Puck News, the author of the What I'm Hearing newsletter, and the host of the town podcast on the ringer network matt thank you for joining us on the bo boys no problem thanks for having me um all right so we want to make use of your time here and get right into talking box office and uh you know i want to start off you just had stacy spikes the ceo of movie pass on the town just today fresh new episode just dropped we actually had him on the B.O. Boys back in, I think it was March or so, when they first relaunched Movie Pass, And it was really interesting hearing you talk to Stacey. I guess, first off, what are your overall impressions of Movie Pass? I mean, we, we know the history of it. Hmm. They, they basically priced themselves out of business years ago with the old regime. The founder has taken over. Is this a business that really can work or... Is MoviePass just going to end up, you know, basically the same way it did three, four years ago? Uh, The short answer is I think it can work, Mm -hmm. but it can work with dramatically different goals and uh, an an agenda that is dramatically different. I mean, they are not trying to grow, grow, grow at all costs and do the tech model where you lose money for 20 years and then all of a sudden you put everybody else out of business. Mm -hmm. I think what they're doing this time is much more sensible. They are pricing it so that they can work with the theaters and bring them in as partners rather than simply parasiting onto them and trying to build a business and then extracting money from the studios or from the theater owners to deliver the audience that they generate. So I think that the the outlook that Stacy has for this company is much more reasonable and I think it can work. It just won't work on the same level that the previous ownership wanted it to work. Right. Well, you, I mean you talk about they definitely want to partner with the theaters and you you talked about this with him. Are the theaters going to partner back? I mean, it looks like AMC and Regal seem to have no interest unless you're <laughs> hearing anything different. 
to me, this is something that maybe could work on the level of it's an indie theater coalition type app. But like, can it work if Regal and AMC really aren't going to give them discounts? They are not going to be partners. You know, can Movie Pass be worthwhile if the big, big chains don't care enough to partner with them? I think it can because let's not forget the theaters can't stop them. Mm-hmm. AMC and Regal can they can make it more difficult. They can not partner with them. They can not give them data or their discounting options or things like that. But they can't prevent Movie Pass from being a conduit that sells tickets to their theaters. So you can create an app that has all the theaters just simply has better discounts or better arrangements with certain theaters that are the partners. But if I want to go see Wakanda forever on a Friday night at Regal, MoviePass will have an option for that. Mm -hmm. It just might not be as attractive, but it can be part of your package that you subscribe to. So I I don't think this is a situation where they can cut MoviePass out. And for that reason, I think they can succeed even if these large chains don't want them to. Okay. Now, in your episode, you talked to Stacy, and you mentioned how you thought MoviePass 2.0 looks like something like Hotels.com or Expedia, and he was very excited that you nailed it. <laughs> is it is it worrisome that you, as somebody who was not marketing this and not uh, part of that brain trust, was able to vocalize it? better than he was able to do it. <laughs> well, I, you know, there are differences, but basically what he was saying is, yes, we, we, they want to position MoviePass as simply a software solution. They are not trying to upend the theater ticketing business. They're not trying to compete with these large chains in their words, although I think they are kind of competing. But they want to be seen as just another option that can help fill your theater, just as Hotels Tonight or Expedia or Kayak or any of these other things will help a hotel fill their rooms each night. And I think there are parallels there, and that's why this can work, because why not do this? If you're a theater owner, yes, you are afraid of your giving up that relationship that you have via your own loyalty program that you, AMC, have a direct relationship with your customer, and MoviePass wants to elbow its way in there and take that direct relationship. But for a certain segment of the population, so what? Who cares? Let them do that. I don't see why it's that big a problem if overall they are going to be additive to the bottom line. I mean, keep in mind, these are extremely challenged businesses. The theater business is extremely challenged right now. Cineworld is on the brink of bankruptcy. AMC is being propped up by the apes and all the meme stock nonsense. So it's not like these are businesses that can afford to put up the velvet rope. Now, they don't want to give away the store. They don't want to let someone into their house that's going to all of a sudden destroy their business. But I think it's okay to have MoviePass as one option that helps you sell tickets. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I think Clayton and I both agree. The theaters, we, we've been drumming this for years. They've got to be more innovative. They've got to figure out different ways of marketing to people, making the experience different. If it's working with MoviePass, sure, why not? It's a different place to sell your tickets. Um, I think one, one last thing on MoviePass is that they don't seem to have the customer hook 
that obviously the old movie pass did. Oh, which of course. Is $10 I mean, a month. What's get better than free movies? Right, right. <laughs> I mean, that's how people saw it. 10 bucks for a movie a day. I mean, that that is, it was literally too good to be true. And right. that is going to be the challenge with MoviePass because, as you guys know, you're probably on their list. They've been emailing everybody saying, yep. MoviePass is back. Get excited. And the reality of the situation is that the new MoviePass is going to be very different from the old MoviePass. But I don't think that's necessarily that bad of a thing. People can test it out, see if it works for them. Don't do it if it doesn't. Do it if you like it. Um, one, one last thing on movie passes. So we talked to Stacy a few months ago and a big part of, of their relaunch plan was, you know, this marketplace and different ways of earning credits. And a part of that was people on the app watching advertisements to earn credits. And he talked about there being eyeball, uh, uh, technology that would see if you're still watching all that. I was wondering if you've heard, is that still part of the plan? Is the Black Mirror aspect of Movie Pass still at play, or do you think they've moved away from that? Because I didn't hear him talk about that at all. No, we didn't what discuss that, and he hasn't. I, it was not in any of the materials that I saw. But is that really that radical? I mean, I play Words of Friends on my phone, and if I watch an ad, I get some coins that allow me to buy extra you know, word searches, mm -hmm, that's, mm -hmm. that's not that radical. So it wouldn't surprise me if, if you know, the, he, he did say that they are about to get an investment from a gaming company. Mm. And to me, that signals where they're going here because the gaming companies have figured out subscription. Online gaming companies do well in the subscription game. And I could see them instituting some kind of a you know watch this ad for credits type situation right. because that is that is more on in the online gaming ecosystem than in the movie ecosystem mm -hmm. yeah the dystopian aspect of it was that it's facial recognition and it if you look away it stops so you have to stare at it it's a clockwork orange type situation so that uh -oh. was the innovation that he brought to it, it was called pre-show and so I do feel like they've backed off on it. We'll see if it is an addition in this when I'm on the wait list. So I'll get all this information. Are you friendly or not with them? Are they going to let you in? <laughs> uh, no, we're very friendly. They we're should. Friendly. You guys reach an yeah. audience of their customers. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. No, we, we, we love talking about uh, their dystopian eyeball policies. <laughs> it was great. So... The yeah, I didn't. Theater. I didn't make any judgment about it morally. No, no, mm. we're we're all bring the dystopia on. Whatever helps the movie theaters. So you know, you talked about the trouble that these movie theater chains are in right now, and it's 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 so weird to be talking about the theatrical business that way after what seemed like a few months of really positive news. I mean, this is the summer of Top Gun Maverick is now what top six or seven domestic earners of all time. You know, the Jurassic Park movie was a big hit. Elvis overperformed. Where the crawdad thing made $80 million with no stars. You've had all of these successes. So why are we in this place now where the next few months, it looks like the box office is going to be dead again and the theatrical chains are back to being in trouble? I mean, I thought Maverick saved <laughs> everybody. There's just not enough movies. I mean, that's yeah. the bottom line here is, yes, the, this summer was a benchmark because it showed that for the right title, people will come back in levels that are at or even above pre-pandemic levels for the right title. 
But what we haven't proven yet in the recovery is whether the market can sustain the level of product that was in theaters pre-pandemic. And we don't know that. I mean, there are still segments of the movie-going population that have not returned, in particular older women are still not coming back to theaters in droves like they were pre-pandemic. Now, there's also streaming. We are predisposed to streaming movies much more so now than we were in 2019. Even those, even these three years, there's been a lot of change in consumer behavior and in what the offerings are on streaming. So the studios have just tightened the spigot on what they're putting out there. And consequently, the overall box office is likely going to be a bit down about 30% this year. And for the individual studios, that may not matter because they're making their bets when they want to make them. But for the overall theater business, that's pretty catastrophic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like there's a few different things at play here. One is, is the audience back? And the other is, are the studios putting out enough product? And I mean, I would say looking at the box office this summer, the audience is definitely willing to be back because when you talk about the oldsters, which is anyone above 32 years old, you got Elvis, you got Crawdads. We've had movies that are bringing that older and Maverick where the older audience is coming if it's there. But when you look at the release schedule, there's just nowhere near enough movies. I mean, do you, do you, do you looking back at takeaways from the summer, do you still feel like the older audience is is not coming back? Because well, I, I think it's they're there if they're given something to come back for. Of course, yes. That's I mean, the, if you looked at the original Top Gun audience, that audience was older. And if you look mm -hmm. at the Elvis audience and you look at the Crawdads audience, I mean, there there was something for these audiences that brought them out. But there is a dearth of product. I mean, there usually we will see these B-level and C-level summer movies that don't do huge numbers, but all of a sudden you look up and they're at one, two, three hundred million. That that just didn't happen this year. I mean, yes, Elvis did very well, but don't forget, Elvis was the only big summer tentpole that Warner Brothers released this right. year. I mean, that is amazing. The fact that Warner Brothers, which basically invented the modern summer tentpole, only had Elvis as their big movie, and that wasn't even really a pre-branded IP movie. So, you know, that that is a big shock to the system. Yeah. I mean, I guess stick it on Warner Brothers. Where what is where are you at with them now as uh, you know, their sort of revised strategy the last month or so since Zaslav took over and the outlook for Warner Brothers as a theatrical studio. Because I mean, I'll throw out there for on our point of view, when everything broke a few weeks ago, the BO boys did see uh, some positive signs in the sense that it looks like Warner Brothers wants to focus on making theatrical movies that are worth being in theaters. You know, that might be the positive takeaway is they don't want to make $90 million television movies, which has always seemed like a weird thing for anyone to make. They want to either make TV shows or they want to make movies that are worth going in the movie theater. So that might be a positive. Or is Warner Brothers just you know, bleeding money and, and they might just, you know, sort of be out of the realm other than DC movies twice a year. 
No, I think they're going to make non-DC movies. I mean, everything you're hearing from the new CEO, David Zasloff, is that he wants to release a robust slate of movies in theaters. He thinks the theatrical experience is still valuable and it's where the money is generated and that you can do what they did with the Batman, which was make you know hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in theaters and then put it on HBO Max 45 days later and still get pretty much the same bang for their buck on streaming that they did if it were day and date. That's basically the strategy. And they think that if they're putting these movies in theaters for an exclusive window, that it will generate the downstream revenue as well. And I think that's probably a good thing for the box office because it does mean that there will be more exclusives coming from Warner Brothers. Um, you know, the rest of the studios have not made that same commitment. And we've seen even something like Halloween Ends, the Blumhouse, mm. you know, the, the the third Halloween movie in this trilogy, that was supposed to be a theatrical exclusive in October. Now it's day and date with Peacock. Will that hurt the box office? Probably a little bit. They clearly think it's worthwhile to do that because they, Warner, uh, Universal has this whole model where they send stuff to premium video on demand. They have the Peacock deal. So they have a lot of different ways to make money. But again, the loser in this equation, the theaters. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the day and date model feels like it has, it was a thing during the pandemic, obviously, because of safety concerns, right? And I, I just don't understand, even with something like the Halloween, why not have exclusivity in theaters for a week or two weeks instead of the day and date model. Because I do think something like that last Halloween movie, it's the last of the trilogy. Supposedly it's the last of the whole franchise, which is not going to be the case, but that's what they're touting it as. Why wouldn't you want that to be premium content for theaters for at least a limited amount of time to get the diehards, the gore hounds out, and then you can put it on Peacock. And like you were saying about Batman, I don't know if the subscribers are going to be more if they can see it the same day. I just don't know if that's if that makes sense. Well, the answer is Peacock. I mean, have you seen the Peacock numbers? They're pretty depressing. So yeah. if you are Comcast, NBC Universal, and you are looking at Peacock, they got to do something to try to juice subscribers there. They've got this big asset. They feel that there will be a separate and distinct audience that will want to have that theatrical experience on the opening weekend and get out and see the movie with their friends. They think there will also be a segment of the audience that will watch it on Peacock and that will sign up or stay subscribed to go to watch it on Peacock. And that is pure and simple. So, so with these, the you know the last year we've had this this conflation of movies that are is it theatrical is it streaming and you know are they made for streaming are they made for theatrical where do you see that going in the next few years in terms of these these big companies spending tons and tons of money 100 million dollar budgets for movies that are meant for streaming. Does that still make sense as a business model? I mean, we listen, <laughs> we grew up in a time when a television movie was three different Amy Fisher movies on a Sunday night and they all probably cost like a million dollars a piece to make. That was a TV movie and then you spent money to make theatrical movies. Does it make sense for Netflix and these companies to continue spending like 100 million, 150 million for something that will have no box office revenue? 
Well, you're asking the question of our times in mm-hmm. media right now, is that right. what what is the appropriate amount of money to spend on a streaming service to gain subscribers worldwide? And if you ask Netflix, they say that what they are spending, which is you know fifteen to twenty billion dollars a year on original content and uh, their overall content spend, that's worth it, and that they are getting scale worldwide. And these two hundred and twenty million subscribers that they have worldwide is going to pay. They they demand that. Now there are other companies like Warner Brothers Discovery that say, yeah, we want to be in that business. We want to grow that subscriber base worldwide. We're not going to spend like drunken sailors to do it. And they don't believe that it's worthwhile to spend a hundred or two hundred million dollars on a movie like The Gray Man in order to please the streaming audience. Mm-hmm. If Warner mm-hmm. Brothers is going to spend two hundred million dollars on a movie, it's going to be a pre-branded blockbuster that can earn eight to eight hundred to a billion dollars in theaters, pure and simple. Then it will go exclusively to HBO Max, where if it's anything like the Batman. It will deliver a huge audience there, too. They think that's additive. Netflix so far has not done that, has not felt the need to include a theatrical window. And frankly, the theaters have resisted, but I think they would be a little bit more willing these days. So I think ultimately Netflix is going to have to change its tune. I think they are going to face a reckoning on revenue and the prospect of spending $200 million just to please your subscribers isn't going to be worthwhile. They're going to need to get a few hundred million dollars out of theaters to make that worthwhile. But for now, that's not where we are. Do you think that happens uh, in time for the Knives Out movie? Netflix has the Knives Out. Nope, 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 nope. Okay. I don't. I, I don't think so. I know Ryan Johnson would love it. I know that many people at Netflix, including Scott Stuber, the head of the film group, would love to have a theatrical exclusive window. Now, that doesn't mean it won't play in certain cities for you know a week or two before. And but the prospect of a wide, commercially viable, you know, everybody can see it in theaters release for the Knives Out sequel. I just don't think that's going to happen. Netflix is just really adamant about this. Wow. I oh. mean, to me, that's that's. That's a big one because Knives Out is a theatrical property. It's a movie that just three years ago made a couple hundred million dollars worldwide in theaters. So I, I did think that might be the one where Netflix finally brokered a deal with AMC with Regal and gave that a 3,000 theater release. So to oh, me, if it doesn't me, happen, they would there, love it. They would love it as long as Netflix isn't willing to do it day and date. They would love that. But um, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, you know, let me get your opinion. Something that that Clayton and I have both been saying over these last year or two is that it does feel like movies, when they get to streaming after having a theatrical release, are more enticing on the streamer than some of these original two streaming movies, you know, people, Well, but that's want- just a function of the marketing campaign. I mean, to open a movie in theaters, you need a marketing campaign mm-hmm. to tell people it's there. And that's where the value is created around these films. Netflix has really not marketed individual titles very much. They're starting to change that with things like gray man. And they did it for red notice and they are doing campaigns for these movies. And no surprise, those are big performers on the service. But what you ascribe to as a value creation for the for theaters is in part the marketing associated with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, 
can the theater survive if this continues to be the way product is doled out? Where studios are making less for theaters, they're focusing on their streamers, you're getting these doldrum two, three-month periods. I mean, if you look at the schedule, the rest of 22, now that Shazam has moved off the schedule and, you know, it's Black Adam and Avatar are pretty and, and much... And Black Panther. And Black Panther, yes, you're right. So they, there's three big, big ones and that's your, you know, September through December. I mean, what are you hearing in terms of the studios at Bill? Are we, are we going to start to see just theater counts go down. You know, I think will the answer have to is, close? I think the answer is necessarily yes. I mean, mm-hmm. this country is overscreened. I mean, 40,000 theaters is probably too many at this point, given mm-hmm. the state of the business and where it's headed. So, you know, if these, if, if one of these big theater chains goes into bankruptcy, we'll, we will definitely see theaters close. Mm-hmm. If, you know, depending on what the creditors want to do with the assets, if the others can't get their stock price up because their revenue is so low, then they're going to have to start cutting costs. And the way you do that is to end some of these leases. You know, if, if Cinemark, if, if Regal, which is owned by Cineworld, if Cineworld goes into bankruptcy, they will have the ability to end a lot of their leases that they find onerous during the bankruptcy process. That's part of the, the process is you can go through and get out of some of your leases and they're going to have to do that in order to make this work financially. And what that means would be theaters closing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you run the risk of there being movie deserts in parts of the country. You know, so listen, we're in New York, you're in LA, we're coastal elites. We're going to have a movie theater. Near True, us, no matter but what. my local landmark closed. The Arclight Theater chain closed, the one in Culver City right near me. I used to have three major theaters within a five-minute drive. Now I have one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. We have hardships as well. On the coast. <laughs> I mean, these are these are champagne problems, obviously. But the, the the real challenge here for the consumer is that if the studios don't start to release more movies, there will be movie deserts on the release calendar. I mean, this could be an annual thing that from mid August through October that there's nothing in theaters. That's if there's a two month desert every year. That's a huge problem. Right. Right. Well, there is some positive, like, coming out of the HBO Max Discovery thing where they did just say that the House Party reboot is going to go theatrical, the Evil Dead film is going to go theatrical. So seeing what was once a um, streaming-only movie now getting theatrical release feels like that's a positive move in the right direction. And the company understanding we can make good money in theatrical first. They think so. And if they don't, then it's like, okay, well, then it'll go to – HBO Max in 45 days, and we'll try to make it up there. I mean, that is the thinking at Warner Brothers right now. And I think for theaters, that is a positive because at least these movies will be taking a swing at it. I mean, that's the real problem here is if the studios start releasing movies in theaters only because they are sure things, we're not going to see any surprise hits. I mean, that's how (laughs) franchises are created. Nobody thought Knives Out would do $300 million in theaters. Nobody thought that, you know, the rom-coms of of a decade or two ago would become franchises. Like, it just happened, and audiences 
grafted on to these properties and they became surprise hits. But if you're only releasing the tent poles in theaters, you're not going to have any more surprise hits. You're not going to have a La La Land come out and do $300 million. Right, right. And you're, yeah, you're not going to have a four movie Lethal Weapon franchise unless you make Lethal Weapon one. You know, exactly. things that things are not born franchises. You know, they have to be created, and the vast majority of evidence shows that the best and perhaps only way to create a franchise in movies is a theatrical release. Right, right. If you look at it, Netflix has not created a real IP other than Stranger Things. Uh, I, I mean, I, they they say, if you ask them, they say, what about Murder Mystery? That's getting a sequel, the Adam Sandler, Jennifer Aniston movie. What about Extraction, the Chris... Uh, Hemsworth movie that's getting a sequel. I mean, they're they are doing sequels, but the extraction movie. How much does that mean to you and me? Not very much. No, they're not, very they're not selling extraction action figures. So you're on the your podcast. The town is on the Ringer Network. They have the rewatchables, and the thing I always say is a movie like Extraction will never be a rewatchable because it's never going to be one of those movies that people saw in the movie theater and. I do think there's something about, and maybe this is something that Netflix and, and these streamers might need to start doing, is just a movie being on cable and <laughs> people being able to start them in the middle 30 times is what makes a movie become part of the consciousness, you know, become something that's on the rewatchable. Something like Extraction is never going to play... 500 times on TNT and people walk in into the middle of it and then realize that they like the movie. And I think with a lot of these Netflix movies, they're never going to become that kind of branded IP because you just need people to catch it at three o'clock in the morning in the middle. That may be true. I mean, that's also a function of our cultural fragmentation at this point because cable networks used to be the gateway. You know, you, they were the gatekeeper. There were only so many movies available to watch at a given time, which is why you were cruising TNT at three in the morning in the first place. Mm -hmm. Now, if you want to watch a movie at three in the morning, flip on Netflix and you're probably going to watch the same movie you've watched 20 times before mm -hmm. and maybe won't see it's something that then becomes a rewatchable. So right. I, I don't know. I mean, it's funny. I don't, I like the rewatchables podcast too. And have they ever done a movie that was a Netflix original? I don't think so. I don't think they've ever done a Netflix movie. That to me, that's the that's the sign of Netflix not creating IP is they've yet to be on the rewatchables. So. Yeah, and they've already done a Top Gun Maverick episode. <laughs> that yep. was that movie only came out four months ago. Yep, that's the power of theatrical. We just want to run a couple of a few more big ideas by you, Matt, that sure. we've been talking about the last few months. So, going back to these theater chains them trying to figure out what their situation is, maybe closing theaters, going into bankruptcy. Something Clayton and I have posited a lot, especially during the early part of the pandemic, when it looks like the chains were really on the ropes before that they were able to reopen, is, is there any future in which the studios themselves get into the theatrical distribution business? You know, does it make sense for Disney to own movie theaters, for Warner Brothers to own movie theaters, you know, for them to have full control over, they put out a movie and they're also the ones getting full price for the tickets. You know, does, does it make sense to have AMC be a middleman, especially if there's four or five studios making all the movies? 
I think that's a great question, and I think that the studios have been reluctant. I mean, first of all, to know the history here, for 60 years or so, that was not allowed. Yep. The government prevented, because in the old days of movies, they did own right. the theaters. And the government, through the consent decrees and the paramount decrees, said you can no longer do that. So it wasn't allowed, but recently those were overturned, overturned. Mm-hmm. so they can do that if they want. And there are, you know, Disney does own the El Capitan in Hollywood. Netflix owns theaters in New York and L.A. primarily to show their awards movies to the awards voters. Uh, But they do own small number of theaters. I don't think the studios are interested in buying one of the chains because, first of all, it's sort of a dying or a non-growth business. And if you got into that business, I think it would drag on the stocks Mm -hmm. because it's not a high leverage or growth business. And secondly, they kind of like having this middleman that deals with all the problems associated with theaters. It's not Disney's problem that there's no movies for two and a half months. Mm -hmm. That's the theater's problem. And if it was all of a sudden Disney's problem, that would be a big pain in the butt for them. Right, so I right. think that's it. But you know, maybe they could come in. You know, if the price of these theater chains comes down so much, where they're literally you know n- worth next to nothing, maybe a studio would come in and say, "Listen, we'll buy this for super cheap. We'll program it with our own movies, and we can." exercise some synergies there and make money. Maybe they would do that, but I, I, I just don't. First of all, other than Disney and Universal, the others aren't really in the experiential business. So that would be a big change for them. And even Disney and and Comcast, like I just don't see them wanting to take on these companies right now. Right, right. I mean, there's definitely the conspiracy theory part that could think – that's why they're starving these theaters is to drive down the price. Huh. That's but. an that's an interesting theory. You know, if it happens, like I could see something like maybe Apple or Netflix would buy something like the Alamo Draft House, mm-hmm. which is considered a premium and more fan-oriented boutique movie chain. You know, maybe something like the iPick or something like that. But again, these these companies all had the opportunity to buy ArcLight and they didn't. Right. So, right. you know, that that I think says a lot. But if they do get into it, it would be more of a boutique thing. Apple makes sense only because Apple tends to do premium kind of boutique stuff in this space. Um, maybe Amazon would be interested, you know, just like they bought Whole Foods. But again, you know, they could run the ticketing system on the Amazon software and put their Amazon Studios films into those theaters and sell Whole Foods food at the concessions, like maybe that would make sense for them. Um, but I, I haven't heard of any movement on that arena. And any, any, uh, anything you're hearing about since you bring up Apple and some of these tech companies, you know, like Paramount is a studio that's been rumored to, you know, it would make sense as being part of a, you know, Apple or Netflix library, Sony's out there. Is, is there any chance that Netflix still buys up an existing studio for the library or did they sort of miss the boat on that when their stock was worth twice as much as it is now? Yeah, it'd be a little bit more difficult now that the stock is down 60%. I think Netflix probably should have bought Paramount three, four, five years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, The problem with Paramount as the company, not Paramount the studio, Paramount Global, is that that company would come along with 
all of these cable television channels that are declining businesses, Nickelodeon, MTV, VH1, BET, all of these businesses that Netflix really doesn't want any part of. Um, they right. could sell it off. They could spin off CBS, which is all, also part of it, and then incor you know, incorporate Paramount Plus into the Netflix product. But really what they would be after is the library of Paramount Films for the service and the right to remake and do these movies, you know, make a, make the next five top guns or whatever they're going to do. Um, right. So I don't know. Para the, the head of Paramount, Sherry Redstone has indicated that she doesn't want to sell. Um, I'm sure I believe that. I think there's always a price to be paid for these assets, but, um, but for, for now it doesn't seem like they're going to buy one of these. Got it. So uh, Lionsgate is for sale. Lionsgate is looking for a buyer. It's, and uh, that is a, that is a library as well. Yeah, Lionsgate is a is a studio that really seems like it has to do something because I can't think of the last time they've released a big movie. I mean, it's like the the Spiral, the Saw sequel that came out, you know, twenty twenty one. I mean, they they really seem like they are just there to be bought at this point. Yeah, they they have released movies. They've been mostly small, and they're really pumping up this Hunger Games reboot that they're doing. And I think they're pumping that up because they want a prospective buyer to know, hey, we've got a big tentpole movie coming out. Buy us now, and you can reap the benefit there. Um, you know, Lionsgate also owns Stars, the streaming service and cable channel. Mm -hmm. And Stars is a pretty good business. So there is speculation that one of these streamers could buy Lionsgate mostly for Stars, and then have the Lionsgate library along with it. Uh, they probably will find a buyer, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not a great time to be a mid to low budget movie theatrical distributor. Right. Right. Now, do, Matt, do you have any, you were talking about premium experience at the theater, some of these more premium theaters. Do you think that's the future? Because a lot of people have said when they've been asked, it's not really the price of a ticket that keeps them from going. It's the experience. It's the fact that it doesn't feel premium. It doesn't feel special. They say, oh, I could just watch a big screen at home. Now, of course, they don't have a big enough screen really at home. But what they're talking about is the comfort, being able to go to the bathroom anytime they want, being able to limit who's there and who's not there. Is the future... PLFs is the future IMAX because when you look at Maverick and how it had to seed these big screens for these other movies where it's like you look at how much Maverick made and it actually has left money on the table because it hasn't been able to have these premium screens. Do you think a premium experience is the way to go with these theaters like close a bunch of them and then make those other theaters premium experiences? I do and I don't. I think the theater chains absolutely need to invest in this arena, and that means converting some of their multiplexes into more premium venues and offering better food and drinks. You know, I, I've said before, I think that they should lean into the events arena for their theaters. You know, there should be a way for you to rent out a theater on a Friday night or for your birthday or your anniversary and play one of 5,000 movies that they have and dress up, you know, if you want to watch Top Gun, dress up as a Navy av aviator and have booze and food and whatever. And they do some of that, but not in any meaningful way for their business. They, they need to boutiqueize a lot of these theaters. But that's not the only thing that they need to do because at the end of the day, these companies don't work unless they are mass market products. You need to be able to deliver a 
$200 million opening weekend. And to do that, you've got to fill as many theaters as you want, as you can with the movie that everybody wants to see. So they need to sort of simultaneously boutiqueize themselves while also still being available to the mass market. Mm -hmm. And there are lots of people that will pay $10 for a movie and will not pay 20. Right. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's where movie pass comes in in you're paying very different prices for different experiences, different days of the week, different time. I mean, it, that, that does make sense. And it, yeah, it's like the music industry. You want to sit front row at Lady Gaga, it's going to cost you. But if you want to go and see a band you've never heard of and sit way back, it's, you, you can probably find $20 tickets. Right, right. So, Matt, last thing, you know, we could, we, we'd be able to talk to you forever, but we, we got to let you get back to, to your life. But last thing we want to bring up is Lightyear. You know, this is a movie that fans of the B.O. Boys know it's been a, a a dead horse, a corpse that we've been beating all summer. It was a big <laughs> it was a disaster for Disney, for Pixar. What is the current state of Pixar, the Disney Pixar relationship? You know, we've had this weird situation since the, the pandemic where, of course, the first few movies soul you're putting straight to Disney Plus. But it started to feel more and more like Disney has been minimizing Pixar, you know, in, in a way that we've never seen before. The The brand feels tarnished, you know, compared to your Marvels, compared to your other big brands. The Pixar brand feels tarnished. And, you know, they put out some Pixar movies straight to streaming even after theaters were open in a surprising move. And then Lightyear bombs. Is Disney sort of uh, uh, a little down on Pixar or are, are they almost purposefully minimizing it? I mean, it, it seems almost like self-sabotage. And then of course, Lightyear being such a dud doesn't seem like it's going to do Pixar any favor. So what are you hearing in terms of that relationship, morale at Pixar? You know, what is going on there? Well, it's pretty clear people at Pixar are disappointed with how Disney has handled their movies over the past couple of years. It made sense to put Soul directly to Disney+. Plus. Theaters were really challenged there. It made sense to put, uh, what was the one after that? Uh, Luca? Uh, Luca. Luca. Right? Luca. And it made sense to put Luca there, mostly because they were really challenged in theaters, even though they probably should have done a day and date. But then you put Turning Red that was there. the big one. That was the big one. That one felt yep. a little almost punitive. Yes. Because mm -hmm. that was a movie designed to appeal to young girls, right? Mm -hmm. It was a 13-year-old girl's story. It was a great movie. It got great reviews. And they didn't even try in theaters. That could have become something that young people saw in theaters. And the fact that Disney then put three in a row direct to streaming, you're essentially training the Pixar audience, the Pixar yep. fans, and there are many of them, to expect these movies are going to go directly to streaming. Yes. So when Lightyear came along, then it was like, oh, wait, this is in theaters? I'm, I'll, just, I'll just wait. It'll be on Disney+, Plus, right? Yes. It's a Pixar movie. And I'm not saying that Lightyear was a great movie. I, I saw it with my kid. My kid liked it. I thought it was fine. It should have been funnier, I think, and it should have had a clear connection to the Toy Story universe. It but should have just been the toy. I mean, let's all be honest. It should have <laughs> just been the, the toy gets his own movie. Right. But you know what? It was fine. And I think that there it really hurt it. There was a combination of things with Lightyear. I think 
the fact that people have been trained to watch it at home, I think the fact that the movie didn't quite deliver what people wanted out of a Buzz Lightyear prequel, I think the politics stuff with the same-sex kiss, that became a thing in right-wing circles. Um, I think that you know the, the, the pandemic is still dragging on family audiences. So I think all of that conspired to really sabotage Lightyear, and it only got to 225 worldwide, which is, for a Pixar movie, very low. I mean, when the when when it's in the same box office realm as the bad guys came out the yeah. same time, and yeah. you're a Pixar movie that even though they screwed up the premise, it's still a Toy Story offshoot, which is supposed to be the Mercedes Lexus level of animation, Toy Story, and they're making less than the Good Dinosaur. I mean, that listen, Clayton and I have been going over this all summer. Lightyear made less than Pixar's The Good Dinosaur, which is the the basement level mark for Pixar. I, I do think it's it's that they tarnished the Pixar brand with with all these straight to Disney Plus releases. And keep in mind the way that the Disney mechanism is set up. Pixar is not deciding where this movie goes. Mm -hmm. It's not even the creative executives that decide. There is a guy, Kareem Daniel at Disney, whose job is the head of the distribution unit. So he looks at all the content that's being made by all the different aspects of Disney, and he says, okay, this is what we're, and he has a team that advises, and they do the financials and the costs and everything. And then they say, okay, this is a movie that is going to go direct to theaters. This is a movie that's going to go direct to Disney+. Plus. This movie's going to be a hybrid. This movie's going to have a window of 45 days. This movie, you know, so... It's not the creative people that are doing this. So the people at Pixar, they're working their ass off in these movies, and it's decided from you know Mount Olympus that they are all of a sudden making a direct-to-VOD movie. Right, right. Well, it, is there a level two that Pixar had been dominant for so long? We take it for granted. Is there a chance that it creatively has just run its course, and someone like Bob Chapik is looking at the movies that they're turning out, like Luca, like Soul, and a dead pianist, jazz pianist, and a Italian sea monster are not going to sell PJs. They're not going to sell. Backpacks. I don't buy that. I don't buy that. I just don't. I think. I mean, we would be describing those movies a lot differently if they had grossed four or five hundred million dollars in theaters. Mm -hmm. So, and I and yeah. I and I've seen them all. I have a kid. I watch them all. They're good movies. You know, Lightyear, again, did not deliver what a fan of Toy Story would want out of that movie, so it felt disappointing. But the others, my kid watches Luca all the time. Right. And Turning Red, I thought, was a great film, really funny, and was a little bit older demo than the Pixar Kitty movies, and I think it could have done really well in theaters. The Pixar creativity, I think, is still there. Um, they did lose John Lasseter, the kind of patron saint of Pixar, when he was forced out of the company. And the, there's been turnover there, but I am not going to write off one of the biggest creative engines of the past 25 years just because they've had a few movies that have not performed. Yeah, and I think what you said before is it, it it did feel punitive with Turning Red, and it does feel like there's something bigger going on in terms of the Disney higher-ups look at Pixar more than any kind of Pixar quality. It is it is just strange that Pixar has been minimized so much as a, as an IP, uh, especially the last couple of years. Yeah, so and especially when, going on, and especially when compared to Disney Animation Studios, you know, you look mm -hmm. at something like Encanto, which right. did get a theatrical exclusive. Now, 
that movie ended up being a huge driver of Disney Plus when it was on the service. But Encanto got about a month or so of exclusivity in theaters. Yep. Yep. I mean, and again, and like you said, it's because it got a theatrical marketing campaign. But those movies are going to be just so much more important on a streamer after they've had that big theatrical marketing, theatrical release. And, you know, people like you, people like the B.O. Boys are touting their box office. That that That's what gets these movies into the consciousness. Is, and Encanto had a, a number one hit right. song, too, right. which is something that hasn't not happened Not just the number a one hit song, the most popular song of 2022, at least first half of the year. So, yeah, yeah that, that and, that, you know, it's hard to compare because you have something like that that fuels a phenomenon where these kids are watching over and over again because of the songs. The Pixar movies don't have that. But right. they do have a, you know, very strong creative team that delivers unique films. And that ultimately, in the Disney machine, that is going to be worthwhile long term. So, but does Bob Chapek see that? That's the thing. It, it feels like he doesn't, and that's that's what's the interesting part. Like, why isn't he looking at it as a crown jewel? That's a great question. Uh, you know, and and maybe he is, and he just feels that the direct to Disney Plus is where the priority of the company is, and he is treating them like a crown jewel by avoiding theaters. That's not the way creative people tend to think about these things, but mm -hmm. perhaps they saw the numbers on Disney plus that you and I don't see. And they said, yeah, these Pixar movies are moving the needle for us on Disney plus. So let's keep doing it. Right, and right. you know that, that, but I, I, I just think that the model for these kids movies, if they're good and they have an audience is to do them in theaters and then put them on the service. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, Matt, thank you so much for your time today. Listen, again, we could have talked to you for hours. We'd love to talk to you again down the road. So uh, where could people, again, find you, listen to you, read you, and, and, and get, get your coverage of, uh, of, of showbiz? Sure. I do a twice-a-week newsletter for Puck News, and you can just go to puck.news, and you'll see me on the author page. Or you can subscribe to The Town, which is my podcast that I do a couple times a week for The Ringer. Yeah, I mean, listen, we talk about the town all the time on the BO Boys. It's a must listen. And, you know, part of the Ringer Network, when you're down at the Ringer office, I just want you to just let Bill Simmons and all them know one thing. The BO Boys are willing to come on the rewatchables, <laughs> but we have one demand if we're going to come on the rewatchables. It has to be a rewatchable episode of War with Grandpa, which is the 2020 movie that saved the box office. We'll come on the rewatchables, but it has to be War with Grandpa. So let them know. I, I don't even We're know what that movie is, but I will take your word for it. Robert De Niro and a kid, and they got into a big war, came out in November 2020, kept those those theaters that were open afloat. It's mm. you know, it's it's one of the most important moments in box office history. All right, I will I will pass that along. All right. So thank you so much, Matt. And uh, thanks for being on the BO Boys. Thank you. Wow, what an interview, Pat. I think we nailed it. Yeah, that was great. And Matt nailed it. Matt Matt was outstanding, yeah. as always. All so, three of us. Yeah, we nailed it. And, uh, you know, we, we, we talked a lot of big ideas, a lot of big things that are going to happen in the future of movies. But, Clayton, let's look at the near future, which mm -hmm. is this upcoming weekend, the weekend of Friday, August 26th. And the big question for this weekend that is out there 
is will any movie this weekend make double digits at the domestic box office? Will anything make $10 million? And, and now that's up for grabs. Right? Mm-hmm. This is important because we've got a streak going, a 15-month streak of 10 million plus earners, right? All the way back to the weekend of A Quiet Place Part 2, which opened in May of 2021. Every weekend, there has been a at least $10 million earner. Mm-hmm. And this could break that streak because the only movie that has a shot mm-hmm. is a horror movie called The Invitation. Oh, boy. And it's about vampires. And it looks like Sony is calling it at six to seven million. Wow. So we'll see. I mean, we'll see. This does not bode well. Yeah. I mean, God, this is this is such a a a tough streak to see broken. I mean, usually we love to see streaks are are made to be broken, mm-hmm. but this is the kind of streak that you really hate to see broken because it means that theaters are in a bit of trouble if there yes. is no movie that could crack ten million dollars. And listen, that's happened before in the past. You know, traditionally this time of year, Labor Day weekend has been rough going for movie theaters. Even at the height of like the 90s, you know, box office, everything is right with the world era. Very end of summer into Labor Day weekend has been a tough time. But I think it means more now because we just like we talked about last episode and we talked with Matt Bellity in the interview you just heard. It's such a dark slate for the next few weeks, for the next month plus that mm-hmm. the 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 negative feeling around seeing every movie make under 10 million dollars that that just could be soul crushing for the industry for the moviegoers for the creatives it's just going to hurt if this happens and i feel like now just we usually do these thursday night so that yeah. we can make our predictions before the thursday night preview money is accumulated and reported mm-hmm. And it looks like Deadline has not made any sort of uh, article about this, about any sort of money that it's made. Now, it looks like on the numbers, Mm -hmm. the Thursday chart is up. And there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of, uh, you know, movies who haven't said, hey, this is how much we made. Mm -hmm. But it looks like the invitation made under a million dollars. Yeah, so then that... that pretty much would would take it out of the running of making 10 that would almost make it seem like this movie is in danger of making less than five yeah and the only other movie i know people are asking well what about what about the idris elba his second movie coming out in consecutive weekends three thousand years of longing does that have a shot doesn't look like it because according to what we're looking at tracking wise, it is tracking to make what last night in Soho oh opened to, which we all know was $4 million. So this is going to cry macho. 
It's going to cry macho, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and it'll be lucky to cry macho. I mean, I feel like four is on the high end for that movie. I mean, with 3,000 Years of Longing, so that's a George Miller movie, and people say, well, his last movie was Mad Max Fury Road. He's a blockbuster guy. That's an this IP. Is, th- that's an IP, and this is not meant to be that type of movie. I mean, this no. is a... There's fantasy elements, there's special effects, but it is a romantic drama. And that that type of movie has to be good to do well at the box office. And obviously, Rotten Tomatoes scores are not a perfect science. And we're not critics, huh? huh. You know, and, and critics shouldn't be important, huh? But this movie's only got 69% uh, on Rotten Tomatoes. It's not some kind of critical darling that that type of audience, the audience that cares about reviews, feels like they have to see. It feels like a when you have a drama from a big director coming out, on August 26th, it's a dump. Mm-hmm. You know, this feels like a late August dump. And uh, that's that's the type of thing when it's a drama. You know, if you put a comedy here, you know, your David Spade vehicle or some kind of big action movie, that could do well in late August, but not a drama that probably originally had Oscar hopes. Well, that's the other thing is like, th- not only is this a a box office bomb, this does not bode well for its award season at all. Right. But a movie that was made with big awards plays in mind, if it's coming out on August 26th, that means it's a dump. And I don't think that's going to be the kind of thing that breaks through in late August. So the, 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 is there a holdover movie that could save the streak? You know, is obviously you had something like uh, Dragon Ball Super came out last week and it made 20, right? I'm already forgetting, but I think that did make $20 million. So a 50% drop is 10 million. Is there any chance that Dragon Ball Super has a 50% hold, a 50% drop, and that's the movie that makes 10 million? Is there any chance of that? I, I don't believe so, and the reason being is because it started to drop already during the weekend. Right, right. In right. the amount of money it made. It made under a million dollars on Thursday. I mean, these Dragon Ball type of movies, these anime movies, they're front-loaded. You know, these are FTF. Yes. These are for the fans, and the fans are more likely to come out opening day, maybe the second day, and then past that, the fans have seen it, and who's seeing Dragon Ball second weekend? Now, we use two different websites when we do this. I mean, we use three, but we use the numbers, but we also use Box Office Pro. Mm -hmm. And Box Office Pro Mm -hmm. is thinking, they're prognosticating, Right. That Dragon Ball Super Superhero is going to drop 77%. That makes sense. And not even make the top five. That's their prediction. Now, the numbers is a little bit more bullish, having it come in with a 68% drop and coming in number two behind the invitation. 
So that's a little bit more bullish, but I feel like it's somewhere in there. Right. It's right. definitely not going to make, it's not going to keep the streak alive. Right. So then, I mean, The Invitation, it is a horror movie, but I think it's rated, I could be wrong, but I think it's rated PG-13. I don't yeah, think it's an R-rated horror movie. Yeah, I was looking that up, and I believe that it is PG-13, which is always, I mean, the horror heads, the gore hounds are not going to be happy about that. Right, right. I mean, you had in this slot, you know, or or right around here, you had Candyman open late August of 2021 and that opened to what 22 million 23 million domestic around this time so obviously like the invitation is an ip like candy man it doesn't feel as big you know it's not getting the the push that candy man got the same time last year uh, our only hope for this streak is that the gore hounds were sleeping a little bit on thursday night Maybe they're, you know, maybe they're catching up with Orphan First Kill on Paramount Plus. You know, they 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 were still in Thursday night. The Gorehounds who hadn't caught it earlier in the week, they were watching Orphan First Kill. But our only national hope is the Gorehounds come out for the invitation this weekend and they get it to ten million. In, in Gorehounds, we 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 have to have faith. I mean, even the numbers mm-hmm. is saying that this is going to open to eight box office pro has the tracking the weekend range for the invitation from seven to 12, but they're going with nine. They're going yeah. with a heartbreaking nine. So God. they're just out there to break hearts right now. I mean, I'd, I'd almost rather this movie just make 6 million and not even tease us. Cause uh-huh. The idea of following it this weekend and Saturday it's tracking at 9.4 and Sunday 9.6. I, I don't know if I could deal with that type of anxiety this weekend of the streak being that much on the, on the bubble. I either want the streak to be fully out of reach by the time we get estimates Saturday or you know, it's going to make 14, 15 million. If, if the numbers start coming in that it's on that nine to $10 million bubble, mm-hmm. listen, I'm, I'm in great shape and all that, but I don't know if my heart would be able to take that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think there's going to be much drama this weekend, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. I think Saturday mm-hmm. will tell the tale and it's not going to be a tale that we're going to be too happy about. Yeah. So, so let's all just, you know, for ourselves and for the wannabe O boys, wannabe O girls, wannabe O people. People. Mentally prepare yourself that the streak will end this weekend. That mm-hmm. that and then there we'll will start another streak. And we'll start another streak. And maybe not next weekend. The streak might not start next weekend. No. But another streak will start eventually. And that streak will go even longer. That's what we it's have to tell like ourselves. Cal Ripken never played another game. Exactly. Exactly. Right. 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 When Cal Ripken's streak ended, he didn't die. No. He didn't explode. He didn't, you know, sit out that game and then explode. Mm-hmm. He lived. He's got a lot of money. He's he's very comfortable. And that'll be what happens with the movie theater business when this streak ends. The streak will so- end, but theaters will 
much like Cal Ripken. They might not have as much money as Cal Ripken because Regal's declaring bankruptcy and all that's going on, but they'll be okay. Well, their parent company is. Their parent company, yes, of course. Yeah, their parent uh, company. Because it's not, it's like saying we're we're declaring bankruptcy if our parents are declaring bankruptcy. That's it's not the same thing. Right. You know right. what I mean? Right. If our parents declare bankruptcy, listen, that's on them. At, at our age, at their age, they got to deal with it. We're not dealing Absolutely. with it. Absolutely. So let's let's get down to brass tacks then, yeah. Matt. Yes. Have you watched the trailer for because I saw the invitation trailer okay. when I saw a movie that we never really talked about together because I did talk about it on the solo episode. Mm-hmm. A movie called Fall. Me and you have not talked about that. Listen, me and you have actually not talked very much in real life. Uh, not that the B, the B.O. Boys, of course, is the realest that life gets, but we have not talked very much. I was on my European vacation, as everyone knows. Everyone's been not following it. But we haven't talked much. So, no, I, I actually have not heard about your fall experience, about whether the movie was good or not, about trailers shown. So, yeah, do, do tell me. How was the response a to fall and and B to invitations trailer before fall. Well, I don't think we need to get into critic territory. We're not for critics, fall, huh? For, yeah, for fall, huh? Because it definitely is a movie that I will want to explain to you in detail off mic. Perfect, perfect. I understand why it did not do well because okay. obviously it didn't have the ad spend to do well, right? But. It was the sort of movie that this movie, The Invitation, would have a trailer in front of. And it got no response, Mm -hmm. this trailer. It was, I think, a sleepy audience. It was Mm -hmm. a midday audience. Right. Uh, So I don't think I can really judge from the audience reaction. I can only judge from my reaction and from seeing this. It does not feel like an important movie. It does not feel like a new sort of concept or take on vampires. There's no real reason to rush out and see this film. Mm-hmm. So I do think that we're looking at uh, under 10, definitely. But I do think I'm looking more in the range of like seven for it. All right. So let's get let's just do it. Let's do our top five predictions. And since you already threw yours out, let's start with you. What is what is your top five this weekend, Clayton? So uh, number one is going to be the invitation just because it, 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 it'd be really hard for it not to. Okay. It has to. It be. would have to really bomb to land under my number two movie, which is going to be Beast. Wow. Tell me how you get the math on this. So you're saying Beast finishes ahead of Dragon Ball Super Superhero. Well, because I think the drop on Dragon Ball, I'm more along the lines of Box Office Pro in that this is going to have a dramatic fall. Right. Okay. So then what do you think Beast is making and what do you think Dragon Ball is making? Well, I think Beast is probably making somewhere in like the low sixes. Okay. And then Dragon Ball is going to be right behind it at like five something. There, wow. It's going to be tight because then you have Bullet Train. Yep. So I think it's going to be Invitation, Beast, then Dragon Ball, then Bullet Train. And then I'm going for it. I'm going to say Maverick. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, I think my top five might be the same, except... 
I'm going to go nuts and say Dragon Ball finishes four and Bullet Train stays three. I'm going to go Invitation, then okay. Beast. I mean, you sold me on it. And yeah, Dragon Ball is going to drop to the point where it makes like $4 million. Yeah. So I'll go Invitation one. And I do think Invitation is not going to get to 10. It's going to be like no. eight at best. It might even make like $6 million or something. Um Beast is probably going to make high fives, which would be a really good hold because it only made 11 and a half million last week. So uh, five or six there. So yeah, so it's invitation one, then beast. Then I think bullet train holds pretty well and maybe makes like 6 million. And that's number three. Then dragon ball super makes like five something. And that's number four. And then Maverick makes like, 5 million or 4.8 and that's number five yeah so if, so if that happens yeah we're looking at maverick cresting into the 690s yeah so that 700 is guaranteed at this point yeah that's gonna happen and it's gonna get ahead of uh the original black panther movie of course who knows what the re-release situation for black panther will be as we get close to, to Wakanda forever in November. I mean, you got to think Black Panther is getting a re-release in October. Mm-hmm. And that'll that'll push up the domestic uh, box office for that. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's good. Listen, I think the big takeaway for this weekend is everyone stay calm. Everyone keep your chin up. Everyone soldier on the streak's going to end. There's not going to be a movie that makes double digits domestic, the box office this weekend, but you've got to put on a brave face. You've got to go about your business, continue shopping. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, take care of your loved ones, hug a loved one because they're also going to be getting this news. They're going to be seeing the, the, the numbers. They're going to listen to the BO boys on Monday and know that, no movie made $10 million at the box office. So take care of each other and we will get through this. And also I do think there's going to be a level of that energy permeating to people that don't know what's happening and why this weekend feels sadder than normal. Right. And if that's somebody who's less informed about culture or a, a child or an elderly person, sit them down and have the conversation and let them know that the streak is ending and say exactly what Pat said. Yeah. Ha- have an open forum, open communication. Right. Don't shut it down. Don't be like that. You don't, if you don't understand, then I can't explain it. Right. Or right. I don't want to talk about it. Or it, it, it's none of your business. Don't say any of those things. Yes. Don't have do your that. door open. Let your kids come in and talk to you about it. Explain to them what it means. Right. And what it doesn't mean. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's the most important thing is, is, is the, the children and how we talk to them. And I think on Monday's episode, when this actually happens, because it's going to happen, when we cover the results this weekend on Monday, Maybe what we could do, Clayton, is we'll sit down and we'll talk to the children. We'll talk to the yes. wannabe o babies. That'll come on Monday's episode. Daddy we'll, will be home. Yes. Daddy comes home and we will talk to the kids and we will uh, 
get through this with them. But so, so that'll be on Monday. So so wannabe old boys, wannabe old girls, wannabe old people. People. Make sure your wannabe old babies are listening on Monday's episode. We'll get them through this. Yes. And we'll keep our language to uh, less cursing. Um, so Clayton, I think we've done it. Of course, email us. Do we, we actually do, uh, we got, of course, Adam from the stacks did email us that he is going to be signing up for movie pass. Mm -hmm. Um, although he has already been having problems. He has had problems. That that's not a problem. There was a miss. There was a misunderstanding because the countdown is now not for signing up. The countdown is now to sign up, like your ability to sign up. Got it. So, so. he got a little confused as to the, the, the he thought they were moving the dates without telling anybody. But really what happened was there was a countdown clock until the time you could sign up. And then once that first countdown clock ended – Okay. This is the second countdown clock for you to actually be able to sign up. Got and then it, when got that it. ends, it will be completely closed. Got it. Although he, I mean, listen, he's saying it already reminds him of the Theranos blood scam. You know, he might be onto something here. The movie pass could be a Theranos blood scam situation. We'll see. But Adam from the Stacks does say that he will uh, be getting his movie pass because it's such a quote quirky and cool status symbol for me. Oh boy. I might even wear mine around my neck in a lanyard as a fashion statement that I love Adam from the stacks. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily about whether movie pass is going to be functional as an app, whether it'll even get you discounts on movies. It is at the least a statement about who you are, what you care about, and yeah, wear the movie pass card on a lanyard around your neck. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love it. So yeah. that's a great tip, Adam, from the stacks. I think a lot of the wanna be old boys, wanna be old girls, wanna be old people. People wear your movie pass uh a subscription card around your neck once you get it, and that'll be a great way of letting People know that you're want to be a boy, want to be a girl, want to be a person. Person now in do, real life. Do we even know if there's gonna be physical cards? That's a big question. I feel like there have to be because that was such a uh, uh, just a, uh, the iconography of the movie pass card was so big and so well known. That that is that is the IP that they have there. The movie pass name and that movie pass card. Uh I mean, even if it's not functional, even if you don't need a card to do any of the things that they want to do, I think it's you gotta get it's ornamental. And like Adam from the Sack said, you wear it around your neck. You know, it's merch. So I if they'd already weren't planning it, they gotta send people subscription cards. So they could wear it around their necks. Well, Stacy, I mean, Stacy Spikes is definitely going to be listening to this episode. Yeah, yeah. So, Stacy, print those cards, or I'm sure there's a batch of cards in a warehouse from the old movie pass. Just send people those. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, the last thing 
I want to mention as, as it pertains to movie passes. Last week on the on the show, we of course mentioned when, uh, uh, that it was wannabe old boy Josh was the one who tipped us off that yes. the emails were going out, and it was actually not wannabe old boy Josh who tipped us off. It was wannabe old girl Rebecca. Yes, and. She was the one who texted us. Mm-hmm. We both made the same assumption that it was Josh because yeah. it was sent in a text thread. Want to be old boy, Josh, want to be old girl, Rebecca. They know each other. Uh huh. We won't say how, but they know each other. Yeah. And, Relationship undefined publicly. And we both just as we just made that mental leap. We did a, you know, uh, uh, Berenstein Bears situation is what happened there. Yeah. Where we both imagined it was the the different person who sent that initial uh, text. And we got to give credit where credit is due. And the credit goes to wanna be a girl, Rebecca. Um, Josh did not do anything. Well, here's the thing though. Now, it's not that he did anything wrong, so we shouldn't besmirch him. He may have known no, his no. information. And once he saw that the text had been sent, he did not want to send something that had already been said. So he could right, have been sitting right. on it at the same exact time and just not done it. So that doesn't mean he was less informed. That doesn't mean that he wasn't going to at some point. No, this give is us not a, a situation situation where he did wrong but he didn't do as much right as wannabe old girl rebecca okay that's that's but all I mean, i'm saying okay but he didn't do yeah, she did he the most right but he wrong. did no wrong he did no wrong so obviously yeah. he's listening to this now wannabe old boy josh you did no wrong but rebecca yeah, and I'm did sure the most you would right. have you would have informed us of if course. rebecca of had not of course, of course, yes. He, he both... simply did not want to share redundant information. Yes, which is, I mean, so important because people just say the same things over and over again, and Josh is not that type of person. Well, how many people sent us that that information afterwards? Right. Right. I got, we got emails, I got texts, I got a phone call from my parents. You know, right, right, right. So good on Josh, but better on Rebecca is what okay. how we'll say. So I think that's it, Clayton. I think that's we have it. done it. This is a jam-packed episode. Email us at the Podcast at gmail.com. And yeah, that's it. So I don't think there's anything left to say. No. Except until next time. We'll, we'll smell you at the box, box.